when we use the catechism as a guide for our sermons, sometimes a pastor will follow it very, very closely and explain those words of the catechism, and that will very likely happen as we go on. Sometimes a pastor will focus more on a scripture text that explains that question and answer. And that's actually what we're going to do this morning. And that single verse is 1 Corinthians 15, 28. I'll listen to it, and then we'll begin. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. That God may be all in all. That's our focus this morning. People of God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It sounds pretty harsh. And some people might take this like a very firm sergeant or maybe boot camp instructor demanding a hundred push-ups. In fact, there are some people who might take all of these Ten Commandments that way. Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. If you've been a believer for a while, like I know many of you have, we're used to hearing the Ten Commandments, but if you step back and listen to them for the very first time, you've got to admit they sound pretty stern. Reverend Joel Naderhood, who was the longtime radio and TV broadcaster for the Christian Reformed Church, once said, we've got to understand that the Ten Commandments were first given to the Israelites who had just come out of slavery. They were given first to a bunch of people who were basically barbarians. A little, they were better than barbarians, but not a whole lot better. And they needed to be civilized. You think of when you go into Leviticus and see all those other little laws, some of those uh, laws about health and hygiene. I mean, think about it. They needed to be told stuff as basic as, Folks, when you do your business, you need to go outside the camp and take a shovel with you, too. So the Ten Commandments are simple, straightforward. They're even in your face. It's like when we talk to our kids who we're just trying and hoping are going to be prepared for civilized society. It's like Luke Stop punching your sister in the face. Julia, you dropped the hot dog on the kitchen floor. Don't just walk around it. Pick it up. Throw it away or clean it off. Jeremy, it's time for a shower, buddy. God has to give his children very clear instruction. Very clear instruction. He does that, and then God works on them, and he works with them throughout the centuries. And sometimes they really blow it, but they also make progress as time goes on. You think of Daniel and his buddies, who we talked about not too long ago, and their very strong commitment. And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus comes. 
Jesus, who's God's word from the beginning, he comes and teaches God's people himself in the flesh. And then we've got all these letters of Paul written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 12, we have something as grand as be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's like college level now. Same principles, same commandments, but through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, fully and almost more deeply explained and applied. 2 Corinthians 3 talks about the glory of the new covenant. A way to look at the whole history of salvation and redemption is to see that it's the history of God shaping the lives of his people. And there's some progress and development there. And that's where our verse today comes in. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. That God may be all in all. That seems to me to be a New Testament way of saying, have no other gods before me. It's like God is saying in New Testament times, after the coming of his son Jesus to his people, he's saying, let me tell you what that no other God stuff was all about. This is how it was from the beginning when I fashioned the universe This is what I was teaching Israel about, that stubborn bunch of people. And this is what I want my bride, my people, my church, my children today to get. That I am all in all. Our text is looking ahead to the end of time when God will be all in all. Though we're not there yet. That is the goal to which God's people are to strive and live towards already now. That God is all in all. You've heard that phrase before. There's a song, there's a a newer song that has it. What does that mean? It's really deep, I think. It's a profound statement. What does it mean that God is all in all. One thing it doesn't mean is something that's called pantheism, that everything is God and that God is everything. There's a popular book that's been out there the last few years that I really hope and pray Christians have been very discerning about, and it's called The Shack. It imagines some things about God and makes some things up. It messes up what the Trinity is. It says Jesus is a way to God, not the way. And it also imagines a God who is not over creation, but in creation. And that's pantheism. That's not what God is all in all is about. God is all in all is about the sovereignty of God, like we've talked about recently. It's that he is supreme in all things and over all things. It's that his might and his authority 
would be forever established. Now what does that huge idea mean for your life? What does a life look like that has this going on? That God is all in all. How is that happening in your life today? Is the Lord your all in all? Is he your everything in everything? It's a very tough question. It's a very big question. But I feel like we have an opportunity today to quite possibly start a whole new leg on our journey of faith as God's people by prioritizing that principle, this commandment, by saying, God, I do want you to be my all in all. It's your first commandment. It's the priority that you're calling me to for your glory. And so life goes well and right for me and my house. How could we get started on this exciting journey of God being our all in all? I believe the answer is through accepting God's invitation to total devotion to Him in our lives. Total devotion. Complete devotion. It strikes me that many things in life are both and, but not everything. When you've got a struggle with someone at work, or something with one of your children or your spouse, it's most often both and solutions that win the day. It's listening to both sides. Our covenant children often have a point from their perspective that we need to hear and listen to. A conflict between two workers, it's usually resolved when both people's sides are heard and taken into account going forward. Some things, I mean, maybe even many things are both and, but God being all in all in your life is not. This is not one of the both and things. No other gods before me. It's an either or proposition. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. Joshua said before the people of Israel, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in this commandment, we're called to total devotion to God. Loving God with our whole heart, as the Bible often puts it. So this is an exclusive relationship. And that reminds me of another very important exclusive relationship in life, and that's marriage. The Bible often compares the relationship between God and his people like the relationship between a husband and a wife. And the whole book of Hosea in the Old Testament is set up that way. So imagine this as one pastor puts it. Loving God is like loving your spouse. You choose your mate, and it is to the exclusion of all others, right? A guy can't come home and tell his wife, Honey, I'd like, I'd like to introduce you to this other love in my life. I really thought it would be good for the two of you to meet. I'm sure you'll get along just swell. 
Both of you mean so much to me. No, your wife would be, it's me or her, buddy. You take your pick. Now, if a wife did that, would we think that was mean-spirited? Would that be a mean thing for a wife to do? Would we be like, how dare she do that? Of course not. No one would think it was cruel of a wife. No one would think it was unfair. No one would think it was intolerance. One husband, one wife, that was the deal. That was the promise. That is her right. The traditional wedding vows say forsaking all others. That's for a reason. It's because this is a relationship of exclusivity. That is also true of our relationship with God. It's the very nature of the relationship. That's what God, as all in all, calls us for. Total devotion. How can we get there? How might this look like in your life? Well, guess what? There are nine more commandments. That's how this total devotion looks in your life. God being all in all, well, it means something for my working and resting. It means something for how marriage is supposed to work. It has implications for how I gain and use my possessions. It means something for my heart and my most personal, private moments that no one else but God knows or can see. The rest of the commandments show how to prioritize everything in life under that chief priority, that God is your all in all. They show us what total devotion looks like, and we're going to explore that in the weeks to come in each and every commandment. How to get there, how to achieve this total devotion is the big question. I could have made up or, or found uh, a handy list or some tips, I suppose. But what I hope to do this morning is much better than that, I believe. And that's bring us to Jesus. Israel, back at Mount Sinai, received these commandments on tablets of stone. But they proceeded to forget. They did not have God as all in all, as you look through the Old Testament. They thought that they could have God and a little bit of Baal, a little bit of Asherah, a little bit of Dagon. Those were the gods of the day. They tried the both and with God, and it did not turn out well. It led to their downfall. We see what it did to them. The whole Old Testament is an illustration of it. And yet, we want to do what amounts to the same thing. What we really want is something shy of wholehearted love, something short of God being our everything. It's like the struggling alcoholic with the hidden bottle or the unfaithful spouse. We like to keep a little something going on the side. That exclusive partnership just seems to be too much for us. So we have other priorities when it suits us sometimes. How about for you? What are some of those areas for you? It's a very 
individual thing based on our own uh, personality, circumstances in life, uh, things, events we've come across with, maybe even things in our past. Those things that pull us away from total commitment. They're a little different for everybody. What, what do you hold back, believer? Where do you not totally devote to God? And God, God is calling us to search our hearts in that today. And this is one of, of great ways that we can really prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper next week. Because of this, because of our lack of total devotion, Jesus came. That's why we needed him to come. The Bible shows us that he lived God's way truly. He never wavered, though he was tempted to. God's ways, God's plan, God's mission. God was his all in all, all the way, all the time. And Jesus was so totally devoted that he followed God's plan of salvation all the way to death on a cross. And that plan was to save and bring to himself people like you and me who are less than fully devoted followers. The first commandment can only truly possibly be obeyed by knowing and worshiping Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, if you know me, you know God the Father. Hebrews 1.3, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. For life to work, it's got to flow in and out of God's Son. With the commandments, God gives them to us. We hear them. We read them this morning. We read the first commandment and focus on in particular. We compare our lives and we have to say, Yikes, I have not done that. And that's a very good thing for us to come to that point. It's good because it shows us we need help. We need salvation. We can't do it alone. We need the Savior, Jesus. And then the commandments are there. They bring us to Jesus. Then our lives flow out of Jesus once we're saved. And he shows us how to live for him. The blueprint is the Ten Commandments. Those are the life priorities that we're given. One of you shared with me, in anticipation of this series, a, a book from John Stott, and it says this. Listen carefully. If the law, we're talking about the law, right? Series on the law, Ten Commandments. If the law is the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and that's placing us under such discipline and condemnation as to make Christ our only hope of salvation, Christ now sends us back to the law, the Ten Commandments, to show us and tell us how to live. So you see, it's all about Jesus. We turn to Jesus in our need, and then we live for Jesus in his strength through the power of the cross and the atonement. In Jesus, the Ten Commandments are not a drill sergeant screaming, thou shalt not, but instead, in Jesus, it's the loving bridegroom, as the Bible tells us Jesus is. 
It's the loving bridegroom inviting his bride, you, his people, to experience the full extent of his love. Jesus invites you to do that, to start a new chapter in your spiritual journey today. One where God is your all in all. Jesus says, when you devote yourself, your everything, fully to me, it will go well with you. Your work, your worries, your finances, your time, your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, your Sundays, your Friday and Saturday nights, and every other day for that matter, your health, your sickness, your hopes, your worship, your downtime, your heart, your mind, your dreams, your goals. May God be your all in all. That's how it should be. That's the ticket. That's the life. In Jesus, amen.